Today, we are in the middle of a series called Unshakable. Everybody say Unshakable. Yeah, the reason we're doing that is because we're, we're kind of talking about this idea of the kingdom of God. Now, we found this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, which is in the New Testament. It's kind of been our key verse for the series. And it says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that, that you and I, when we entered into a relationship with God, it wasn't that we entered into a religion. We didn't enter into a, you know, a, a cult or some type of organized uh, group. You entered into a kingdom and the kingdom was ran by a king and it's God. It's not me, it's God. And so you and I, when we entered a relationship with God, we entered into a kingdom and thank God that his kingdom does not shake because my kingdom, my world shakes all the time. How many of y'all have something shaking in your marriage right now, shaking in your family right now, shaking in your finances right now, shaking with your kids right now, there's some or something shaking in your job. There's a lot of things that are shaking and God has a lot to say about his kingdom and how to actually, we can assimilate into his kingdom and actually eliminate some of those shaking things inside of our lives. So we've been talking about that and I highly encourage you, please go back to our website or YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple. I mean, we are everywhere. If you search right Church TX, you'll find our podcast and go back and look at several messages that we've done in this series about how to live in the kingdom of God. If we're in that kingdom, what does that mean for us? It's really the point of the series. Today, we're going to talk about a very unique topic. Um, I'm not sure I've ever heard any pastor preach on this. I don't, it's not a very popular thing. In fact, I know most pastors like to avoid this topic, but I teach it because it's important for us to know because it's reality. It's what it's like to live in the kingdom, what I call kingdom tension. Everybody say tension. Come on, like you got Red Bull in here and you're happy to be here, say tension. There's a tension in the kingdom and I'm gonna highlight it today instead of avoid it. We're gonna talk about what it's like to live in the kingdom tension. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to be, Luke chapter 23. If not, we'll put it up on the screens. Wanted to give you a highlight here for just a minute and give you an idea of what's going on before I do that. The Bible is broken up into two main parts. It's the Old Testament, the New Testament. And in the New Testament, it's kind of the second half of the Bible. It um, starts with the, uh, what they call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're gonna be in that book called Luke. And Luke was, uh, these are stories of the life of Jesus. They, they tell about, their, their stories written about the life of Jesus and what it was like in his birth all the way through his death. And Luke was written by, in, uh, by a physician and he writes a really detailed account of Jesus' life. If, you're, if you want like the details, all the details of Jesus' life, go read Luke. But at the end of Luke, Luke chapter 23, Jesus is already lived his life. He's already done his ministry. He's been through what they call a sham of a, of a trial. It's not really a real trial. In fact, they accused him of something. There was no evidence and they still called him guilty. That's that's not justice. And so they call him guilty. Then they take him out before they're going to kill him and execute him. They torture him for a long period of time. After they torture him, they make him walk up this long road, carry his own killing death device, his cross. He walks up the road, up the mountain of Golgotha, gets to the top and they execute him a Roman style execution through a cross, what they call a crucifixion, where they put nails through his hands and his feet and they put him up onto the cross. And at this point in Luke chapter 23, he's dying for you and for me and for all mankind. And the Bible goes on to say, that's kind of the context of where we're at. The Bible goes on to say that the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, if he's this chosen one that he's told everybody about. The soldiers also came up and mocked him and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You're talking about this kingdom, God, that you're supposed to be this king about and you're gonna start this new revolution. When I mean, you said you're the king, let's see you do it. And then they even put a notice above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung them hurled insults at him. So he's crucified in the middle and there's a criminal on the right, a criminal on the left. And one of them says to him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. 
and us. But the one on the other side said, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. If you're taking notes, which I hope you are, the title of my message today is called Kingdom Tension. Kingdom Tension. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that today you, you're a good God. You love your kids. And uh, the topic I'm going to talk about today, God, is a rough topic because it, it highlights the reality of our life with you, what it's like to be a Christian in today's age. And I pray that every one of us in here would get something from this, that today you would speak in ways that maybe you've never spoke. Maybe, Holy Spirit, now this is your time to, to really take my message, transform it to the hearts of the people. God, I, I don't want to just be a good preacher. I want to be, I want to deliver your word. I don't want to be a good speaker, communicator. I want to deliver your word. Lord, get me out of the way. Help you be famous in this place. Now, I, 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 I want to see life change happen more than I want to see a good message. So, Lord, if that's your will, which I know that it is, God, I, I just pray that your will would be done right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Um, one of my favorite things to do in all of the world is do what I call people watch. Does anybody like to people watch like me? Like, and, and it's a little creepy, but it's okay. It's like, you know, you find a public place. If you don't know what that means, it's you find a public place and, and you kind of stand off to the side or you sit off to the side and you like to watch all of the weird people in the world. And if you don't think there's weird people in the world, you're not paying attention because there are some weirdos in the world. One of the times I like to watch pe people the most is actually flying inside of airports because, you know, airports really bring all the kinds of people together. And so uh, recently, my wife and I, about six months ago, we were flying, and uh, we were sitting in the lobby waiting for our flight to, to board, and um, I was people watching like I normally do, and I looked over to the counter, and there was a family, there was a mom and a dad, and two young boys who were, I mean, little tiny, probably three or four years old, and uh, they were arguing with the, with the attendant at the, at the ticket counter. Now, I like to watch fights. I don't like to be in them, but I like to watch them. And so how many of y'all like to do that? Y'all flip on social media, you're like, you know, fight at the you know, local Burger King, you know, or whatever. It's like, that was crazy. So um, I was about to, I was just watching this message unfold and I overheard him saying, look, we've been traveling for two days. All of our flights have been canceled. We're trying to get home. Please help us get on this flight. Well, you know, by the time that they, they had not settled their issue yet, the, uh, the attendant calls our name and, you know, our boarding group to get on the plane. So we get on the plane and um, we're sitting on the plane for a good bit and waiting for everybody to kind of load. And it gets towards the end, and all of a sudden we see the last people that get on the plane was this family who made it on the plane. They made it through standby. And so they four walk on, and so the dad and one of the kids walk by and get to go sit in a chair in a seat, maybe a row behind us. And then the mom and the younger four-year-old boy walks to, our, to our, our row. And I look over in our row, and I normally sit on the aisle seat. That's kind of my spot. Anybody got the anybody aisle seat people? Come on, how many of y'all are window seat people? Anybody window seat people? How many of y'all sit in the middle and you just love suffering? Okay, yeah. Nobody. Okay. So, but um, I always sit in the aisle. My wife sits in the middle because she's tiny. It don't much matter. And she's sitting right next to me. And then we had somebody sitting in the window seat on the side. Well, so the lady looks at us, but then she looks over to the right and the, across the aisle. And there is a guy sitting in the aisle. There's nobody sitting in the middle. And there's somebody in the window seat. Behind that row, it was the same thing. A person sitting in the aisle. There's nobody sitting in the center seat. And somebody sitting in the window. Well, she looks at the guy and um, I overhear her because I'm kind of on my phone getting my headphones ready because I don't like to talk to people. 
people on the plane. I know you would think like, you must just love witnessing the people on the plane. I'm like, I don't talk to nobody. In fact, when they ask me what I do, I tell them I'm like a motivational speaker. I don't like telling them I'm a pastor because when you tell people you're a pastor, they get weird. I'm telling you, they get weird. Some people think that means priest. And so they start confessing things to me. And some people start, you know, yelling at me about their church hurt and like, they don't believe in God. And I'm like, Hey man, I just, can I just, I just eat my cheese. It's here. Just kind of be in peace. And so, uh, anyway, I'm sitting there and my wife, um, my, my wife notices and she's, the lady's looking down and she's trying to figure out where she's going to sit. Um, because there's two seats and the only two seats that are left are center seats that are in opposite are in different rows. She's got a little kid. So she looks down at the guy and she goes, sir, would you mind sitting in the center seat behind your row so that I can sit with my little baby boy? And I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of cool. You know, she's, she's trying, you know, it's, it's going to be a cool story. And so the guy looks up from his phone and without blinking says, no, I paid for this seat and looks back down at his phone. Awkward. <laughs> because it, it, was, it was like, this is... This is crazy. So I look over at my, now I thought, and I, so audibly, now I don't know about you, sometimes I speak out loud when I thought it was actually in my head. And so when he said no, I was like, dang. And I said it like that. What he, but what, what I was saying dang to was not to him, was what to what was about to happen from my wife. Because my wife is um, what I would call a justice-driven person. She does not like it at all whenever she sees something that is, should be right, but is actually done wrong. And so I can feel it. I literally can feel my wife. I can feel the tension. I can feel her anger. I can feel her about to do something. And I'm in my mind going, oh my gosh. I can already see it happening. Like I can see the future. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I can see the future of what's about to happen. I'm like, oh no, she's going to say something. Big fight's going to happen. She's going to be dragged off the plane. It's just, is what's going to be. And I'm not going to say I even know her because like, I'm just, I want her to go home. So she's going to be, I'm like, you're going to need to taste her. She's not going to go quietly. And she's going to be dragged off. It's going to be a big fight. It's going to be not a good thing. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh oh, here's what's going to happen. So I said, dang, I look over at my wife because I just know her arms already coming across my face <laughs> to point at the dude and to start talking to him. She goes, sir, sir. And I'm like, I mean, and he looks at me like when my wife looks at him, he looks at me. I'm like, don't look at me, homie. I live with her. Like, <laughs> You did this. I didn't do this. You did this. And so she's like, sir, are you saying you're not going to move? And I'm like, babe, seriously. Like, and then the flight attendant starts walking over here. People start pulling out their phones, right? Because that's what it is. Like, it's viral nation. I'm like, I'm going to end up on the news. Local pastor and his wife get into a fight. Like, I just know it's going to happen. So she's like, you saying you're not going to move? And I'm like, and he's, he's like, he's like, well, I paid for my seat. And she goes, well, you know what? Here's what we could do. She goes, why don't, would you come sit by me? I'll make my husband stand, get up. Why don't you go sit, you go sit in that center seat. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm moving now. And she goes, yeah, he's going to get up. So she starts grabbing my arms to like, get me up. I'm like, let me grab my Cheez-Its. I'm going to grab my cheese and my backpack. I'm like holding my stuff. I got my headphones in my hand. I'm standing in the aisle. I'm like, what, what do you want me to do? She goes, sit over there. I'm like, all right. So I sit in the middle person next to me who should, you know, was not very kind. So I'm sitting, I'm trying to hold my backpack like this. She tells him and he goes, all right, well, I guess I'll do that. I'll sit over in this seat. So he stands up, comes, sits on her seat or my sits in my seat right next to my wife, which I'm like, good luck with that, homie. And so he sits right there and so to allow the mom to sit next to the, to the kid. Now, why I tell you that story? The, the guy had an opportunity, right? The guy had an opportunity. As a matter of fact, you know what happened on the plane? Because everybody heard it. It was kind of interesting. Everybody heard the exchange. 
they heard the mom ask the dad or the, kid, the guy to move. And when he said no, the plane collectively gasped. Like collectively. Y'all want to hear what it sounded like? We'll all gasp on one, three. One, two, three. That's what it sounded like on the plane. And it sounded like that because they were all feeling the same tension that we feel in the kingdom. It's that the guy had an opportunity to do the right thing, but he didn't. He had an, better yet, he had an opportunity to actually help the situation. Come on. And he didn't. And that's the tension in the kingdom. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Have you ever asked God to do something in your life to help? And he doesn't. Okay, I'll wait. Anybody? Did you forget? Okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, but you're a Christian. But you love God, right? But you read your Bible. Come on, you give financially to the church, you pray. What you mean he didn't listen? It's attention, isn't it? Like, let's just embrace it. The universal nature of all Christians everywhere is asking God to do something. He has the power to help you. He has the power to change the situation. He has the power. He's God. It's not like he lacks power. He just doesn't do it. And there's the tension. Is that God has the ability to do something, but he doesn't. Have you ever watched the news recently? Have you ever noticed they never report good news? It's, no, I've never seen the news report tonight on the 10 o'clock news. Man is faithful to his wife. Kids are doing great. They got money in the bank and life is good on the 10 o'clock news. You never hear that. You always hear the negative. And so when you see the negative, there's famines, there's wars, there's disease, there's hurt, there's pain, there's injustice. You and I do what we all do. We look up to heaven and we go, God, will you please help? And he doesn't. How about in your life? You got a marriage issue right now. Some of you walked in here. This is the last resort. You've been fighting for years. This is it. You said, well, this is our Hail Mary, God. You better hope, you better show up. If you don't show up today, I don't know what we're going to do. And you walk in here and you're asking God to step in. He has the power to help, doesn't he? Doesn't he have the power to change your wife's crazy ways? Yeah. Doesn't he have the power to change your husband's, like, inconsiderations all the time everywhere? Yeah, he does. But then he doesn't do it. Some of you come in here with financial issues and financial problems. You've been struggling financially forever. You've asked God forever. Will you change it? And he doesn't. Some of you walked in here with kids who have legitimately lost their mind, which has caused them to lose their way. And you have asked God to help them in their time of need. And he doesn't. I mean, I'm talking to Christians in here who really actually go in life, who live in life. Like, I'm not talking about the people who, when you ask them how you're doing and they're really terrible, but they tell you blessed and highly favored. That's good. That's good for like when you want to be a fake Christian. I'm talking about how to be an authentic Christian in an authentic world when I'm struggling because God can change things, but he doesn't. 
How do you live with that? It happened in Luke 23 with Jesus. You saw the setting. He's hanging on a cross. God has the power to change that problem, that situation, that issue, but he doesn't. In fact, I'll do it even better. Jesus has a moment in the garden with God and literally asks him, hey, I know what's about to happen. Any chance this could be something different? Would you consider helping me right now, God? Hello? And what was his answer? No. God had the power, but he doesn't, and that's the tension. And some of us, our answer to the tension is to solve it, but you don't really want that. I'll prove it to you. In, in this situation with Jesus, if God would have fixed that tension and solved this problem, said, all right, Jesus, never mind, we would have lost salvation. So you don't want God to solve all your tensions, by the way. You don't want him to solve all your problems. Some of the things you're going through right now, you need to get through to actually get through to your own salvation. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's another story that's not even in my notes that's inside of that. There's a whole other lesson in that. And so you don't want God to solve the tension. You and I have to live in the tension. You got to live in the moment where he doesn't answer what you want him to do. He's got the power to do it, but he doesn't. How do you live with that? So now that I've made you sufficiently irritated and reminded you of all the reasons of why you struggle with God, I'm going to give you three ways to actually deal with it. And, and I'm not going to teach you from what I think you should do. I'm going to teach you what Jesus did. Jesus had to deal with the tension of his father, his heavenly father, not fixing and not doing what he knew he, God had the power to do. Y'all ready? If you're with me, say, okay. Say, I got you. All right. Number one, number one, number one, there's three ways to live in the kingdom tension. This is going to be good. I hope you're taking notes. Number one, maintain a thick skin and a soft heart. Maintain a thick skin and a soft heart. My mom, she used to um, tell me when I was younger, she used to pray. I used to remember this. She would pray over me, Lord, give him thick skin and a soft heart. Lord, give him thick skin and a soft heart. And I even asked her now, I was like, why did you pray that for me? She goes, oh, I still pray that over you because I know that um, the world is pretty dangerous and you're going to get a lot of shots thrown at you and you need to have some thick skin to handle it, but you need to have a soft heart until you're open to the things of God. And I'm like, I'm like, that's wisdom. I'm like, mom, you are smart. You know, the older you get, the smarter your parents become. Isn't that true? Like I have teenagers right now. They all think I don't know a thing. They're like, I went from being like, um, they're like, I was like heroified, you know, I'm in the season of vilified. And then one day I'll be in the season of humified again. I'll be human. You know, the older you get, you realize, man, they were smarter than I thought. And my mom was really like that. And she, she said, yeah, I want you to have a thick skin and a soft heart. You see Jesus have this in this story. Luke chapter 23, he says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. So they said, he saved others. You see all the like insults? Let him save himself if he's the Messiah, he's the chosen one. Soldiers came and mocked him and they offered him wine vinegar, which was not a drink, by the way. It was not helpful. It's actually a... It was another shot. But Jesus had to be, he's in, I want you to think about this. He's dying for the very people who are killing him. And the only way that Jesus was able to live in the kingdom tension, this is, I know it sounds weird, he had to endure with thick skin and a soft heart. The thick skin meaning this. Let me break it down. Um, 
you have an inner strength or a resolve to you. Like there's something about you that is just going to endure. I have the ability to endure and take a shot. And you and I live in a world that doesn't value that anymore. We live in a world where we live in the give up world now. If it's hard, give up. If they made you mad, give up on them. Cancel. Like if it's not worth it in your mind, just give up. Just try something else. You can give up. Don't worry about that. If you don't like the sports, son, you can get out of it. We, we have one rule in our house. If you start something, you're going to finish it. I don't care if you don't like it. You're going to love it while you don't like it. And you're going to do it twice. But like we, we, we don't value endurance enough. We don't value like any longer. I never hear anybody just keep going, like hang on to it. I know it's hard, but keep pushing through. I call it grit. Like we don't value grit anymore. Like we, I want to come against a little bit of the perception that Jesus was like a Christian hippie walking around with a dress and Birkenstocks all the time. Like I'm talking about Jesus had to be like, like, like a man of strength. He had to be like a guy who had some inner resolve. He had to be a guy who actually was going to push through to his purpose. He had to be a guy who had a little bit of grit. I'm not talking about like, maybe I'm grateful for the graceful Jesus. I'm grateful for the Jesus who holds the tiny little baby lamb. I'm grateful for the Jesus where the kids all ran to him. But Jesus is also the guy who was angry enough to flip a table, was angry enough to get mad at somebody, who had some strength, who had some resolve, who had some ability to take a shot. And some of us in here, you're going to need to toughen up just a little bit. You're going to need just a smidgen. You too a little... You know what the world really wants from you? The complete opposite. They want you to have thin skin and a hard heart. They want you to be so offended that every time something happens to you, you run and tell everybody on social media so that you can have virtue signalers come in and give you a hug and confirm your bias and confirm your offense and make you even more thin skin. That's the world you live in. But instead... Jesus had some thick skin. Look what was happening to him. And he endured in the process. We need to get some grit. We need to be a little bit stronger. Life's not going to get easier. You're going to have to get stronger. This is your pastor calling you up saying, I know you got more in you. You think you don't. But I know you got more in you. There's a, a, a professor who, who taught the University of, uh, of Cape Town, and, and he, he actually developed this. His name was Tim Noick, and he, he actually created this theory based on science and how you can read the, the brain, and it's called the central governor theory, and it literally means this, that the brain limits the body to maintain homeostasis. Here's what it means. Your brain is on set, is set to high safety for you and your body. It doesn't want you to die, which is a good thing, right? I don't want to die. Your body doesn't want you to die. If it dies, it's dead. I know this is deep thoughts with Pastor Aaron on Sunday morning. It doesn't want you to die so much that it sets your threshold for pain and limit so high that you get to a point in your life where you're going to be going through something and you're going to feel like you can't do any more. But the science actually shows you actually got more in you. Navy SEALs actually adopted this and called it the 40% rule. Here's what the 40% rule was. In training, when you're rate training for a Navy SEAL, that they believe once you get to the point of exhaustion and you feel like you can't go anymore, science scientifically, 
you have 40% more left in you to give. That's science. You don't have to be a believer to think believe in that. What does that mean for you and me? That you and I have a central governing theory inside of our brains. There's a limiter in our brains that when you get into something and you're going through something in your marriage or you're going through something in your finances or you're going through something in your health or you got all these kinds of exterior circumstances that are coming against you, that you, and when you get to the end of your rope, have anybody hit your end of your rope this week, this month, today on the way to church? You got more in you, baby. You do, scientifically. You do, spiritually. You do, personally. You're stronger than you think. You just don't give yourself enough credit for it. There's not enough people going out there saying, if you're in a hard thing, keep going. There's a lot of people saying, if you're in a hard thing, don't worry about it, give it up. There's not enough people saying, keep going. It's a spiritual thing to endure hardship. I'll read it to you, James chapter 1 says God blesses those. Who does he bless? Who does he bless? God blesses everyone? No, no. We talked about that last week. You should go watch about that on blessing. It's pretty good. I know the preacher. He's got nice hair. God blesses those who patiently endure what? Testing. God blesses those who what? Endure. God blesses those who what? Endure. God blesses those who are gritty. They endure. They hang on. They push through. I like gritty people. You ever talk to somebody who's been through something? You're like, man, you've been through something. They just got an inner resolve in them sometimes. Sometimes you'd be like, like when something happens to them, you're just like, dang, man, you just took that on the chin. He's like, seen worse. Y'all ever talk like dude that's like old dude that's been like in the military or something, been at war? You know what I mean? Like we over here like frustrated at life because we got caught in traffic. You didn't get to, you know, your internet speeds are slow. Talking about I'm suffering for Jesus over here on Instagram. Internet speeds are not fast. I got to use, you know, cable internet instead of fiber. You know, they didn't have my favorite oat milk version at Starbucks out here carrying my cross kind of people. They laugh at us because they'd be like, we've been through stuff. Bring it. They're gritty people. They patiently endure, and because of that, they get blessed. They get blessed. So not only that, they need a soft heart. So you need thick skin, but you need a soft heart. And this is your ability to have your heart still open to the things of God. And Jesus, you even see this with Jesus while he's hanging on the cross. Yeah, he had to endure, but he still kept his tension and his, his compassion and his heart open towards God, the things of God, and his people. You even see it because he, he, while he's hanging on the cross, while he's dying for the people who are not just killing him but mocking him, he looks up to heaven and advocates on their behalf. Father, you forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's an open heart to the things of God. And the problem with the world is hard times will make you want to harden your heart. It'll make you want to close off to everything. Close off to God. Close off to people. Close off to his church. Close off to your friends. Close off to reason. Close off to like normal, actual talking. Like nobody talks anymore. Have you ever noticed that you can't disagree with anyone? Like you can't talk to anybody no more. We forgot how to disagree with each other. There was a time, I know this sounds crazy. This sounds crazy. And I'm not even that old. But I remember a time where you could be friends if you were a Republican with a Democrat. Shocking, I know. I remember what it was like. 
And nowadays, you can't even talk to them. And therefore, come on, when I close my heart off, my heart becomes hardened towards those very things that I close my heart off to. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we got to have a soft heart towards God and his people and his church. Like if you've been hurt by the church and your heart's been hardened by the church, you got you to work on God tilling that, that ground up in your heart so that you can be back open to it. Why? Because the very thing that, that hurts you is actually the thing that's going to help you and, and, and get you past it. No one's ever said, I'm the best version of myself when I'm hurt. Did you know that? So if you're hurt, acknowledge it. Open your heart back up to, hey, God, I need you to come in. Do a work inside of me. Why? So that I can get to my potential. And with our hearts open, we can receive from God. We're talking about how you live. How you live in this tension when he, he can, but he doesn't. Number two, number two, number two says, you got to be confident in who you are independent of others. Luke 23, 37, it says, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him that this is the king of the Jews and one of the criminals hurled insults. So aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Do you see what all those are indications of? They're all attacks on his identity. They're all trying to attack his identity. And Jesus could live in the kingdom tension because he knew who he was independent of others. Jesus didn't need their validation, but he lived for their salvation. Do you see the difference? Meaning he valued their opinions enough to reach them, but didn't allow their opinions to define him. And that's the difference. And that's how you and I need to live. We need to be confident in who we are with the awareness of knowing of how we're being perceived by others. There's really two ditches into this. Some of you don't care. Like some of you care too much about other people's opinions. Can I be honest? Can I, can I, can I pass you for a minute? You care too much. You, you think people's opinions of you. You think too highly of other people's opinions of you. And I know how we are. We, we always, we don't ever admit it. What we do is we say, well, I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I don't, I'm, I'm my own person. I don't care about anybody. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care. What do they say about me now? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did they like my post? I don't know. What does that comment say? I got a notification. Does anybody, did you know that that little red number on your app, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all, everybody, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Did you know that scientifically it releases a dopamine hit into your head? Just me saying to you, I could have put up the picture of a red notification and all of y'all would have felt better instantly right now. Like, Somebody said something about me. And then you get onto it and you're like, oh, it's just my mom. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> But you pretend like you don't care, but you really care too much. You live your life based on what people think about you. And if I'm honest, that's me. Can I be honest? It's like confessions of a pastor. That's like totally me. It's like I, I care too much. I care too much about what you guys think. It's, dude, it's like kind of my nature. It's kind of how I'm wired. I wish I didn't. I think it's what, sometimes it makes me a good pastor, but keeps me from being a good follower of Jesus in the kingdom. Because... Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Y'all are kind of fickle. I love you. Group hug. Um, you want to know why I know that? Um, because on one Sunday, on any given Sunday, I can be out in the plot lobby and hear people say, that was, 
music was amazing, and then the next person can come up and say that music was terrible, and then the first person can come up and say the lighting was perfect, and the other person can say there's too much lighting, and then the next person can say the music was too loud, but then the next person can say the music was just right, and the next person can say I liked your jacket, and the next person can say your jacket was kind of distracting, and then the other person can come and say your hair was right on point, and the other person can say can't you ever grow out the sides of your hair, what's up with the fade, and then the next person can come up and be like I liked your shoes this time, that you look really professional today, and the next person can say you look too staunch, you're too professional, why don't you look a little more normal? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Welcome to my life. And because I'm wired to like your, what you say about me, it sits in me. In fact, what's funny is I'll hear majority good things. One person can say negative. One person. And I'll dwell on that all day long. Is anybody else like me in here? You will got 18,000 likes. One person put on the comment, well, you don't know about this, and you only think about what? Them. You got to be careful. It's a ditch. You ain't confident in who you are, independent of others. You're only confident in who you are as long as somebody validates you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're the other ditch. Maybe you're not the person who cares too much. Maybe you care too little. I mean, there are some of those. Your wiring is like, I don't care about nobody, and you really don't. And that's the danger. You actually don't care about people. You moved from not caring about their opinions so far to where now you actually don't care about the people of the opinions. And you should. Jesus showed us. What did he model? I care about you enough to care about me and how I'm reflecting to you. I'm trying to reach you, but I don't care about your opinion of me enough to validate me. I already got that validation. I already know who I am in Christ. I'm very confident in who I am, but I care about your opinion enough to know how I'm being perceived by you. And that's the tension you and I have to live in. And the only way we can live in that tension is to be confident in who we are. How do we get confidence in knowing who we are? You remember where you got your identity from in the first place. Let me give you a principle about naming. The creator of the thing has the naming rights. The creator always has the naming rights. If you create something, you can name it. It's how we are with kids. Isn't that true? Isn't that how you are with children? Let me confess something to you. I've been in ministry for 21 years. I'm coming up on 22. 21, yeah, I've been almost a pastor for almost all those times. Check this out. It's really cool. I've had the opportunity to meet, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of families who birth new babies into the world. And, you know, it's a celebration thing. I mean, we just had baby dedication up here, you know, so new babies get born all the time. And, and you know, it's like, oh, man, this is awesome. And, you know, growing the kingdom and, and populating the earth and doing what God asked us to do. And yes, this is awesome. And I, anytime I meet, though, like a new couple, you know, like a couple that's coming in and they're about to have a baby, about eight months, nine months, you know what I always do? That's what I always do. I walk up, hey, man, how's it going? You know, and hey, pastor, how's it going? Yeah, we're getting to the end. I go, yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah, you know, what do you, you know, you guys thinking about a name right now? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, got some names in the pocket, you know, and some of them keep them sacred, and some of them try to tell you what it is, and I go, I always do this, I go, but you know, uh, I'm like, man, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I kind of like looked down a little bit, I was like, Aaron's a really good name, you know what I'm saying, just like, it's biblical, it's from the Bible, and you know, it's power, it's got some, it's got a touch on it, I'm like, Aaron, and so I use my name a lot with them, I'm like, you know, Aaron's a really good name, Aaron, Aaron's my name, Aaron, Aaron, I don't know if you ever heard about Aaron, Aaron's really, really good, Aaron, it's, even if it's a girl, you can be Sharon, I mean, there's a lot of names you can do, like, Aaron's great. Not one time have I had anybody name their kid after me. 
Not once. Even my own family. My own wife didn't name I wanted to name one of our five boys. I got five of them. We actually ran out of names. I submitted my name to my wife. I said, you think we can name him Aaron? She says, she laughed, said no. Eventually we compromised and I got the last kid middle name. Winston Aaron Grijalva. And that's the name I got. So I don't know if my name's terrible or not, but they never named him after me. You, you want to know why? Because I didn't create them. They created them. So they got the right to name them. The creator always has the naming rights in the life. And I think most of us forget that when somebody comes and tries to steal your identity, when someone tries to tell you who you are, when you, I'll say this, even you don't have the right to label you because you didn't create you. God created you. And if God created you, he has the naming rights. And so I would like to remind you today, this is just a fun thing that I do as a pastor. I get to remind you who you are in Christ because you are somebody in Christ. He already named who you are. He already knows what you're supposed to be. In fact, 186, 186, sorry, 160 times in the Bible, instances, different instances in the Bible, you will see God actually naming you, identifying you in who you are. Are. I'll read them for you. Here's who you are. Just if you need some, like a reminder, here's who you are. You are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You are a child of God, John chapter 1. You are a co-heir in Christ's inheritance, Romans chapter 8. You are a citizen of heaven in Philippians chapter 3. You are unconditionally loved, Romans chapter 8. You are forgiven and free from the guilt of sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You are, un, um, you are the, sight, the salt and light of the world, Matthew chapter 5. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You are righteous and holy, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll keep going. You are a gift with purpose. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You walk in victory, 1 John. You are chosen, John 15. You have everything you need, 2 Peter chapter 1. You are part of God's family, Ephesians chapter 2. You have purpose while you are still on this earth, Philippians chapter 1. Guess what? You are Christ's friend, John chapter 15. You are already been labeled. You've already been identified. You already have identity. No one can steal that from you, including yourself or circumstance. You got to be confident in who you are so that you can live in the tension with the kingdom. God's got you. He's labeled you. Talking about how to live in the tension. Talking about how to live in the tension. God can, but he doesn't. What do I do? Number three in the final, and I'm done. You got to stay eternally minded. You got to stay eternally minded. Luke chapter 23 says, then Jesus said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Can I tell you the reason that Jesus was able to endure the kingdom tension? Because he knew he was going to be in paradise. The biggest mistake that you and I in the kingdom tension can do is to be so earthly focused that we lose sight of heaven in the process. Jesus knew there was a point of his suffering now. It's paradise later. It's the Romans, it's the Romans 8, 18 principle. I'll read it for you. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being to be revealed to us. Like, I don't compare what's happening to me now to what I know is going to be happening for me later. What is happening to me right now is not important, is not as important as what's going to happen for me in the future. When I work out, I got to think like that. I go to CrossFit and most of the situations are like the workouts are like in a segment of time. And almost every single time, every single time I work out, I'm in the middle of the workout and I have to get focused because in the moment I'm going, what am I doing? 
right? Like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? If I focused on the pain that I was going through right now, if that was the only thing I was thinking about, I would never make it through any workouts. What do I focus on? I want to focus on the results. I'm focusing on the heaven I'm going to have. I'm focusing on that six pack that I'll probably never see because I like chips too much. I'm focusing on what I want to see in the future so that I can get through my current pain right now. Some of us are too focused on what's happening to us right now. You're too earthly minded. You got to be eternally minded. I'm not going to make it through this tension unless I learn how to be eternally minded. Focus on the paradise, not the pain. Come on, I've got to focus on the Son of God, not the suffering. I've got to focus on where, where I'm going and not where I'm at. I'm going to be where I'm at. I'm going to live in this tension. I'm not going to be focused on my marriage issues right now. I know i got problems. i got to work on those things, but I'm not just going through it to go through it. I'm going through it so that we can get better at marriage, so that we can actually be better at what we're doing, so that we don't have to come back to this place. I'm not going to come through hell and not get something from it. Like, I'm going to go through my financial problems. I'm going through some issues right now, my finances. But I'm not going to be earthly-minded. I'm not going to be now-minded. I'm going to be eternity-minded. Like, God, your future is for me. I'm not going to be stuck here. I'm not going to be thinking about what's going on. I'm not going to be worried about my pain. My pain will take care of itself. i got to have some grit so I can actually work through my problems and stick through it and have some endurance. i got to make sure that I'm pushing. And i got to be confident in who I am. So why? So I can eternally be eternally-minded so that I can actually get through this tension and get to my paradise. If you want to make it, you got to learn to do these steps. You got to learn to step up. You got it in you. It's still there. You can keep going. But you can't be focused on your pain. You got to be focused on the paradise. My prayer is that if we can do some of these things, you get better at the kingdom tension. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you today, God. There's so much goodness in your, in your word. And, and I think one of the key themes of the Bible is how to suffer well and how to deal with the moments when you just don't change the situation when I've asked you to. And that's a tough thing sometimes. If I'm honest, it's rough. If I'm honest, it's hard. It's, it's a rough thing to do. But I know you, you're with us. And I know you can help us. And I know that, that God, you, you have us. You're for us. We could take a step in Jesus' name.